Ernest Hemingway was an acclaimed author long before he wrote The Old Man and the Sea, but this 130-page novella put him over the top into a small pantheon of American writers, earning him a Pulitzer and a Nobel Prize. A Tale of Man vs. Nature, this short book is part travel piece, part nature narrative, and part religious allegory. We needed a break from the hefty tomes we've been reading for previous episode, but what this book lacks in page length it makes up for in interpretive value. It was an iceberg of meaning indeed, and we had plenty to talk about while drinking bitter death-in-the-afternoon cocktails. So join us for a raucous hour and try to keep up with our sipping. It's time for episode 38 of Toasting the Classics, The Old Man and the Sea. everybody, welcome to Toasting the Classics, episode 38, I think. 38. This is Clint Lanier. Dave MacArthur. And this is the podcast where we... Two old men on a podcast. Two old men on a podcast. Ah, there goes right. my title. Oh, geez, right there. There you go, that was easy. Never ha- never has have the words flowed from your penny pencil Yeah, like, like they just did. This is the podcast where we take a... Uh, something we take report- something that people call a classic. Reported to be classic. Right. We dissect it. We look at it. Take it apart. See we how it works. Dance with Try it. Try to put it back together. It. And then we decide whether it's classic or not. That's because right. you can trust our judgment. Don't forget that we also drink something that's inspired by the classic. Right, which is a whole toasting we part. of the conversation. In fact, right. I think we should start drinking a little earlier in the podcast this time. Should I think we, we should. At the, at the top of the podcast, let's talk. What are we doing? Well, first of all, we're doing Old Man in the Sea. Old Man in the Sea, which is obviously by James Joyce. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, I was going to say. Everybody knows F. Scott that. Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald. That's right. So Hemingway wrote this book in 19, well, published it in 1951. Right. And uh, Hemingway uh, was a bit of a drinker. He's been known to tipple every now yeah, and then. Every now and then. And he came up with a well, cup. We won't be drinking. I can't open this. <laughs> We're going to need a real man in the office here to open this because I can't make it happen. Oh, there we oh, go. There you go. Uh, so he came up with a, with, a, with a few different drinks. And what are we drinking, Dave? We are going to be drinking Death in the Afternoon. Which oh we're just barely missing the afternoon, 6.30. If it was summer, this would arguably that sounds feel like, like a afternoon. really like lively, fruity apropos. type of drink. It sounds right? apropos, right? What, is this, what does this drink consist of? What this drink consists of is either absinthe, which we don't have, uh-huh. or Pernod, which, which is, we do. Because we did Pernod for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right. Had some of this hideous concoction, <laughs> Pernod. He just popped. I was my... not expecting that. <laughs> he just popped your cork right in the middle of the podcast. Right? Where did it go? <laughs> Over there somewhere. <laughs> I forgot. I guess I forgot about it. Almost so we have we off. have absinthe and champagne and champagne and it's uh, some dry champagne. So death in the afternoon uh, concoction come up with uh, that uh, Hemingway came up with rather. I think in Paris, right? Maybe? Must have been. Must yeah, have been Paris, right? With and the old, uh, the old Gertrude Stein's his uh, instructions were to and uh, we should be using champagne flutes. We're not. No, our apologies. But I think he said essentially it's equal parts, absinthe oh, and I, champagne. I, I believe, said right? Jigger, jigger of Pernod. I don't know whether that's and how much jigger, like how, a shot, right? It's about. It's a little more actually. Okay. It's almost two okay. ounces. All right. Well, how, then how, I'll much, stop there. how much champagne? Uh, equal parts? No. Well, if it's a jigger, of the, it, it was just a glass and then a jigger of Pernod. It wasn't. I wasn't told. Interesting. And so, then I think he, he said, like, drink four of those slowly or something like can't that. Be, can't be that much. It was a lot. Let's, let me look up the – let me look up oh, his, yeah, yeah, it definitely says to drink a bunch of them, but I'm just saying watch the amount I'm pouring. I can't possibly be supposed to put in more than this, right? Oh, my God. That's a lot. That seems – that's plenty. Yeah. It has a mimosa-looking quality to it. Death in the Afternoon is one of Hemingway's seven novels. Right. Uh, about bullfighting, if I remember right. Yeah. Or was – or it has references to his time in World War One, but – well, it had, Prim- had, primarily to, have been, it's it had about, to have been in Paris, then. I'm not sure. He wrote certain things at different points in his career. I, I read... Um, <laughs> he wrote different things at different I mean, points he, in his he, career? I mean, he had some of his really? notes and things he wrote in, in Paris. Oh, right, right, right. And then didn't write the books until, like, later, like 20 years later. And so Pour one jigger of absinthe into a champagne glass. Add ice. Right. Champagne. Oh, it does have ice. Add iced, sh- iced champagne, rather, so it doesn't have ice. No, it's not supposed Until to have Until it attains a proper drink. opalescent milkiness. Drink three to five of these slowly. So what do you think? Is that opalescent? Pretty what would I do to increase the, op- the opalescence? Would I add more champagne or more Pernod? I think, I think more champagne. I think it was a full glass of champagne. Okay, so, so no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's top it off with a little bit of so champagne. See how it's getting lighter there? Yeah. The real question is whether this will be grosser. Less oh, gross God. or you, equally gross as the Pan Galactic Gargle Blaster. Okay, before we before we drink this, that was because I've, I've had one of these. Oh, I've you had have? Oh yeah. Okay. 
Guess what this is going to taste like. It smells like death. <laughs> like in actual the afternoon? death. Yes. It's, yeah. How do I feel about that? Well, first of all, <laughs> Pernod, I think, is inherently kind of disgusting. I'm not into these anise-flavored liquors. Yeah. I just inherent Uzo, Rocky, not a fan. Rocky. Rocky from Turkey. It's the same thing. Oh, okay. oh Rocky. 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 R-A-K-I, right? R-A-K-I. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, not Rocky. It's like Rocky. You know, you know what's really interesting is a lot you of- You've got to be drinking to A lot of the drunk. cocktails of the 20s were just uh, really terrible. I mean, <laughs> they're not- Have you ever had a French 75? It's probably one of the most famous- No. Like- What's that? And all the, the, the quote-unquote mixology places and cocktail labs around the country, you'll find a, a French 75. And it was okay. invented during the, uh, World War I, like 1917 in France at Harry's New York Bar in Paris. It is gin and simple syrup. Okay. And then it's topped with brut champagne, so dry champagne. Okay. And y- you think, well, it has— It doesn't s- sound that bad. Not at all sweet. It's super sour. Okay. And then the floater on, you know, the floater champagne, just, you know, the bubble— uh, and, and so many of the drinks sound really appetizing. I don't know if it sounds great, but it doesn't sound that bad, but I guess. Well, it's not like this, but I mean, it, it, is, want, it is not sweet and sucky. Do you remember it, back in the day when you, very, they used to have a thing that was you had to tell whether something was like a pound puppy or a transformer or like a something? I think they should have a thing that's like <laughs> cocktail or sex act. <laughs> what is a French 75? You know? Right. I don't know, man. It's got a good history. I'll say that. What yeah. do you, next time we go to Paris, you have to order one of those at Harry's because that's that's I tradition, that. yeah. I will do that. Anyway, so we are reading, what are we? Still Old Man in the Sea. Still Old Man in the Sea. Now, big Hemingway guy? You read I a am, lot of Hemingway? I how many Hemingway, that. of his seven novels, how many would you say you've read? You've read The Sun Also Rises. Of course. You've read For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yes. You've read Green Hills of Africa? We both I said, have not. Okay, that one's good. That, that one I really liked. I read that a long time ago. I went through a Hemingway phase after I graduated high school. Yeah. And I think I might have read all seven of the novels. I only Unless read, they're I, counting islands in the stream. I never read I've that. I've only read three. Okay. So Sun Also Rises, For Whom the Bell Tolls, and mm-hmm. uh, Farewell to Arms. And Those Old Man in the Sea. Old Man in the Sea. But, and then I've read um, A Movable Feast. I haven't read that. Um, I've read a lot of his short stories. I've never read um, Stones of Kilimanjaro, though, for some reason. I don't know why. I, it's just never occurred to Is me. Is that either. separate from Green Hills of Africa? Yeah, it's, it's a short story, I believe. It's a short story. Yeah. Okay. To Have and Have Not. I think I just read those four. And I read... When I discovered the existence of Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. like giant bookstore, you know, with right. every book you could ever want, and they had these comfortable chairs strewn you through the read, building, read, read, huh? and they didn't, they don't do that anymore. But I went in there and I would just like pick a book and sit down in the chair and like read the whole book. And I remember yeah. I read Old Man in the Sea. I could still see where I was sitting when I read yeah. it. And I remembered like almost nothing. Like if, <laughs> if you read something so fast in like one sitting, it's just right. like. Also, almost 30 years ago. Right. You know, that, that that was. I mean, I was in high school. Well, it's so. a quick book. Everybody I've ever talked to bags on this book. They hate it. I really? loved it. God, I loved it. I've never, I've never read before. Somebody? Because it's slow moving and it's, and it's, and it's. Oh, um, no, I didn't feel that way at all. Well, I mean, and it's just a man in a boat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's short. Little man in a boat. So it's 130 pages. Right. You know, it's like novella length. How could you go wrong? Actually, it's called novella. Yeah. I think it might not even count as a full novel. So. Although um, they do count it as, a, as a novel, but okay, they do count it as one of his novels. But it yeah. was serialized. It was serialized, in, I think, Time or something like that, or okay. Life. One of the, one of those that would, would serialize his stuff all the time. It definitely has. It's definitely a classic. But, but people call it a classic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it won. He he won a Pulitzer Prize for this, Nobel Prize for Literature based on this. Yes, push push the committee yep. over the edge. Mm-hmm. So I mean. We're dealing with something people consider to be a classic. Absolutely. Unquestionably. Well, this is considered his his best work. You know, which is really Now I don't know about that. Most from what I've mostly heard, you know, that the the novel that is Hemingway like in a jar, if you mm-hmm. want to, you know, is uh, Sun Also Rises. Now I I no. liked for whom the bell tolls the most. <laughs> no. You've read Sun Also Rises, right? I have. How much do you remember about that one? Uh, I have sort of a pastiche of memories about World War 1 and the, okay. the ambulance. I don't know, nothing. All right. Know, but it was a long time ago. So well, and I and I okay, find every, this, this outdoor type of reading. The most like mundane things that you've done since in the time that you've read Sun Also Rises was probably more exciting than the but reading. But that, of that doesn't book. mean it's not a great novel. I mean, I agree this, with you. This it's, made him. This made him a superstar, though. This, this made did. him an international celebrity. I mean, he was yeah. a he was a very well known writer before that, but he yeah. was like a global superstar. Yeah, after no, that. this is this is huge for him, and I don't think it was good for him. No, no, he he put a gun to his head six years later. Yeah, he died in sixty uh, one. And I was going to say six years after his Nobel, but because I think— Oh, yeah, that's about no, right. Seven yeah. years, actually, because he got his Nobel in 54, so— Like, while reading through his life story, I was getting the impression from, like, 
pretty much day one when he became a famous person, came back from the First World War and started mm -hmm. writing that the drinking mm -hmm. was a problem and an issue. And there's like a constant series of these weird injuries. Yeah, right? A lot of them. Yeah. Like there was one, he was in Paris and he goes to the bathroom and tries to pull the toilet chain down and it's <laughs> actually the skylight, skylight which it, falls yeah, on his it head scars and tears him over for the rest yeah. of his life. Yeah. And I'm like, that's something you do when you're, you're drunk. drunk. That's, yeah. that's not an injury that happens. Have to you ever it. read a movable feast? No. Okay. So no, I don't know that one. That's the one that was made from his notes that he found later. It yeah. was well. It was the story about how he lost everything yeah, at yeah. the train station, but then he found a chest of his work from the Paris years, right? In the forties, but I think, I think it was I think it was together. recollections and stuff. But I mean, it was so you know he would pal around with F. Scott Fitzgerald. Was was the two of them would go on these drunk like weekends or weeks, lost weekends, whatever you want to call them. And I was reading about how he used to go drink with James Joyce too. And I James said, Joyce, can you imagine, yeah, like if you had a time machine, <sighs> right. Who would you rather go out? <laughs> Got it. Like, no. maybe one of these ancient Roman guys Actually, or any of those guys. Like, okay, can you imagine, like, James Joyce, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ezra Pound, uh, Hemingway, Pablo Picasso, yeah. you know, Gertrude yeah. Stein. I yes. mean, all of these people And then a bunch place. of people that are, like, Ford Maddox, Ford, John Dos Passos, right. people that, like, I'm not as familiar with, right. but who are huge writers. Yeah. All of them hanging out together and getting hammered. <sighs> That's what writers do. Writers drink. Writers drink. Just plain drink. I would like to argue against that, but I'm not sure yeah. I can. You're a writer. I'm You're not drinking. Sure I, can. I am. Yeah, that's true. And we have a we have a podcast called Toasting with Classic. We do. We, do. Lot, so. we are not evidence to the contrary, <laughs> but I mean. But he, so movable feast is all about there's that. Probably some. You would actually some Mormon guy. Would, that, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, Brigham Young. But you, you know, uh, you I, should, lo you, I love you his should. work. By the way, his, his novels are just ripping. <laughs> I know. Page turners. I know. Can't put them down. Best science fiction you'll ever read. You actually should read Movable Feast. Um, yeah, I, I, you'd really enjoy it. Reading all of Hemingway's seven novels, I actually I have a, a 1950s edition that I can I can loan okay. you a few. All right, um, but it's fun because he talks about these weekends going with. Uh, remember last time we had talked about F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife, um, Zelda. Zelda. We did a whole podcast oh, yeah. episode. Appar apparently, Fitzgerald did nothing but but complain about her when the two when he and Hemingway would go out and drinking, and so oh, yeah. when Hemingway drops a dime on him. In a movable feast, he's like, yeah, you know, went out with, with uh, old, you know, he has a name for him. I can't remember what he, call, what he calls him. But I went out with old whatever. Yeah. And uh, and we're out drinking. All he's doing is is you know basically yeah complaining yeah, about his wife, complaining right? about Zelda and how she never lets him do anything. And I kept telling him, hey, you know, you need to cut loose. And yeah, he went through a he went through a period. Um, I think it was right before the war where like all of his buddies were dying. Yeah. It was like Fitzgerald and Dos Passos. No, not Dos Passos. Before uh, World Ford War Maddox II. Ford. Yeah, I mean, right before yeah, World yeah. War II. Yeah. Everybody was dying. And it just, right. it was, when we saw the list of people, it was like yeah. from 1939 to 1946, like everybody died. Yeah. You know, well, a lot well, of it well, is, I think these guys came back from the First World War and experienced the First World War and they were just like, there's no future. Let's just kill ourselves. Well, they you were know, young. Like, they were young. I mean, they're all of them less than 25 years old, right? So it was kind of like they're mm -hmm. all immortal. You know, yeah, and you have that feeling when you're a kid, you don't think about the future. You don't think about what's going to happen. They're all born about 1899. Yeah. And so right before World War II, they're all just about to turn 40. And I'm here to tell Middle you. Middle-aged, yeah. You do right. start to feel slightly less immortal at 40. Right. That's, that's where right. suddenly it's harder to lose weight. Suddenly it's Well, a lot of people everything. do. But, but you he, start feeling bad. But he just, the two-day two hangover kicks in. But he had just come off of, of the Spanish Civil War. That's true. Did in '39. That's true. And then next thing you know, he's going into That's Normandy because he landed in Normandy as a as a correspondent. Did you hear about the middle part though? So he Which came came part. back from the Spanish Civil War mm -hmm. and uh, decided that he really needed to be involved in the war effort, even before we were in the war. But the mm -hmm. war effort, like the European war effort against Germany, so he he got a boat. Oh yeah, yeah. with his buddies, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and they fitted yeah. it out with like stacks of dynamite, yeah. and they would just like. Basically deep sea fish, but with dynamite and like <laughs> hope they were hitting a U boat every now and then. And because yeah. of his activities doing that, yeah. so later in his life when he grew really paranoid, he was like, I think the FBI's following <laughs> me. And it turned out they had a huge file on him. They were following him because of his activities, yeah. well, fighting the war I mean, for himself. I think he owned a he owned like multiple submachine guns and stuff like that. I mean he he like I wouldn't be surprised. I think he financed Spanish Civil War. So he was there as a as a Foreign correspondent right. for a newspaper. However, I think he took up our arm against the fascists, if I remember correctly. Against like, the fascists? Yeah. Okay. I was wondering what side he was yeah, on. Yeah, okay. no, he, he like totally defied he all of the be, rules. He would not have been comfortable fighting for the communists no, either. No. Yeah, well. But I guess he would have been. No, I think I think he, let's see, it's, uh, which is, is it uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls? No, yeah. a Farewell. Yeah, yeah. Okay, For, for Whom the Bell Tolls. Yeah. Well, that, his, his, uh, 
protagonist in there, if I remember, is a mercenary. He's an American mercenary, so, yeah. machine yeah. gunner. Yeah. Who basically, he owns a machine gun, and so that he's hired to, right. to fight against the fascists. You know what? If you have a machine he gun, you can always find work. He styled himself, like, as that guy. Right. I mean, that's what he based It wasn't on, Nick so. Adams. Nick Adams is usually his, like, this is Hemingway character. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's pretty much him. I think I think he feels younger than Hemingway would have You're enjoying that drink, aren't you? Yeah, it's fine. I'm all, it's okay with Look me. at you. I don't mind. Yeah. I'll drink. I'll put drink a, nip, a death Put a nipple afternoon. on my glass. What? Oh, because you're nursing it? Yeah. Yeah. So we haven't talked about this actual book that we read. For not doing what I do. And, right. And say, let's read Shogun. Don't worry. Or something Don't like worry. That. I'm, I'm holding my punches. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I bought a, I bought a real woolly dog-eared copy of Our Mutual Friend by Charles Dickens. Oh, and I plan to inflict oh, that at some point. Oh, so okay. Well. Don't worry. I'll, I'll make up for it. What's the book? So the book we read yeah. was Old Man in the Sea, which is the story you of. You just made fun of me. Oh, yeah, just like it was I'm the first time. reminding the listeners. Yeah. The listeners oh, okay. may have drifted off. Um, I, I can't imagine both why. Both of them? <laughs> yeah, both of them. Gotta... So it's a story of an old, actually, I was going to say Cuban guy. <laughs> old man? He's not Cuban. The main character is not Cuban. He's actually Spanish. Oh, is he? He's yeah. an immigrant to oh, Cuba. Oh, right, right, right. right. Yeah. And he, um, you know, is uh, considered bad luck because he hasn't had any luck fishing for 84 he, days. Yeah. He's gone dry, hasn't caught anything, and his uh, his apprentice has left him. Um, he's still very attached to the boy that helps him, and he goes out on this long trip, hooks an 18-foot, 1,500-pound marlin. Yep. After being, you know, then gets chased out to sea. I don't, I can't imagine how far, 100 miles. Out to get the chased. Sea or he gets pulled out to sea. Oh, he pulled out. That's what yeah. I mean. And then uh, finally kills it, gets it, gets it hooked up to his boat, and starts to head back in. And then, the, and then the sharks come yeah, and just, the sharks just come. eat the yep. thing up. Um, which, yeah, that's that's the basic story. Yeah. Which, like you said, sounds pretty simple. But right. it's all about the detail, and it's all about the way it's told. Um, Hemingway has a theory of writing, which I think he calls something about, like, the iceberg. The iceberg theory. Is iceberg stupid theory. Name. Yeah. It's a stupid name, but it makes sense. You get it, because it's like, um, it seems like very simple language. Yeah. And I was actually doing this thing where I would look at it. How many monosyllabic, like, how many one-syllable words mm-hmm. do we mm-hmm. have before we actually get? And it was, like, 10, 15 single-syllable right. words. Before there'd be even some well, there, word like always. There'd be very you know. few adjectives or adverbs. I mean, he, he didn't d- do a lot of description. Well, there's not a lot of obvious metaphor. The sea isn't Take a broiling, Fahrenheit, broiling. Fahrenheit 451, for example. Right. Right. Where? Oh. Uh, <laughs> right? I think Bradbury's l- l- bad. Okay. In terms of his prose, I think l- Bradbury's a bad writer. You can call the moon no. the moon. Right. Or you can yeah. call it, yes. you know. The, the great shining orb. Great shining. Looking down on us like the just finger be shining, of God. You'd have to give yeah. it like five different hues. Hemingway would, say, Hemingway would say the moon was up. It's like a whole bunch of really simple words telling mm-hmm. the story, getting the job done, mm-hmm. right? And then the vocabulary would shift mm-hmm. to words I don't know. Like it would go from single syllable words to suddenly using words like, I can't even remember what they were, like thrall and gaff and tharp and all the stuff that had to do with the boat. Right. And I'm like, it's perfect because it puts me in the mind of this man who would have a very simple yeah. vocabulary well, for almost everything right. except the sea and the and the boat itself. Well, and he was. I mean, the guy, the guy, the man, Santiago, Santiago, Santiago. Right? Yeah. yeah. So Santiago was had spent his whole life on the ocean. So he knew everything. He knew right. the, he knew the wind. Right. He knew the current. He knew the waves. He knew everything about it. Like he could look. At, at something and be like, oh, you know, the flying fish are about to emerge or something like that, right? It, it makes sense. The vocabulary is what an old man. And and actually the the, the thought, I don't know, in, in a way it sounds like, is it a little bit trite to say like th- these would be, this is this would be the depth of Santiago's thoughts. He's a simple peasant fisherman sure. guy, right? Yeah. Um, but can that guy not have complex thoughts? But, the, but then again, they were complex thoughts. You know, I mean, they they really were. Yeah, sure. But he's talking sure. about, but it's all know, tactical. It's like it's like how well, you're going to handle not the fishing necessarily. Trip like he, he talks about, he talks about the fish being his brother. Like we're brothers. That's true. But I have to kill you. That's true. And we're and and our 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 enemy, our enemy is is uh, the shark. His and, and so I mean, he, so he had he had the really concrete descriptions. The concrete descriptions that happen to the character serve to be most of the metaphors in the story. Yeah. They're not. That the character himself does not right. create a lot of similes and metaphors about what he's seeing. Yeah. But he talks about having dreams about lions on the shore. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I have dreams about lions on the shore. That's all the character says. Yeah. You're left as the, as the reader to figure out what does that mean. Yeah. You know, and there's all this. Uh, you know, I used to dream about women and I used to dream about this. I used to dream about all this right. stuff. And now all I dream about is the lions would, that would. And it's like. So what is that? 
I don't know, but like, but what, do you, he, what do you do with that? But did he really see it? Like, was that him yeah, when, when he was when he know. was a kid? Because yeah. he he'd say, you know, I'd, I'd sit there from you know, I'd, I'd I'd watch from the deck, I'd watch these lions come down to the right. beach as he's on a boat, right? Did that really happen, or is he imagining it? Is it a dream? Is it something when he was a kid? And and does that mean like that's what you go back to? Like, is it kind of like a, your rosebud type of thing? Well, there's a you reading. Know? There's a reading of the book, like I said, where the character is a migrant mm-hmm. from Spain, right? Having trouble, sort of, he's always had trouble sort of fitting into Cuba because he's a Spanish migrant, and that's based on the actual character that the real person that Hemingway based the book on, mm-hmm. um, who had that sort of conflict. Was his, his guy, his right? buddy, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Gregorio Fuentes, and he was like, that guy had trouble fitting into being Cuban. And eventually, tried to go back to Spain, and so he's talking about the memories of the Canary Islands and the memories of the African coast mm-hmm. and things like that as being mm-hmm. sort of a. I'm not sure, like trying to get back to regrets about being a fisherman in Cuba and it's not going that well. Although I got the I impression know. that the, I mean, the I, real guy Fuentes was a very successful. I, did, like, I just sort of saw it as uh, as fishing guide. I sort of saw it as. I thought it might be death. Well, I mean, it's just, he's only, it's just, he's only it's, dreaming about the, the lions. What, what, like what, what's important in life? I mean, when, you, when you're a kid and you have all this drive and you have this fire in your belly mm-hmm. and, he's, and, he's, and he's dreaming about women and passion. And as it gets old, it's something really simple. Like what's really important in life? It's he's, he's watching these lions come down to the beach and playing. They're, that's what they're doing is they're so playing. So my take, you know, and maybe it's not really the way he's described. He doesn't sound like he's afraid of the lions. No. At all. Oh, he's, but enjoy, I was he's thinking, enjoying watching them. I actually sometimes have nightmares about lions or bears or mm. velociraptors or whatever. And <laughs> I think it represents death. Mm. And yeah. I think I think right. because the last thing he says as he goes to sleep and he's exhausted and he's like laying down in this bed, he's like he went to sleep and dreamt about the lions. I think mm-hmm. it's the last line of the book. Yeah. And I was thinking like, did he die? That I don't if know. If the lions are I mean, like that, ravenous that's... creatures ready to devour him at the but, end of but his they're life. Not, you know? But they're not. They're not really. They're not described they're not. that way. They're, they're, they're playing. But maybe they're he playful. thinks. They're, but maybe they're... it's like quietus. Maybe he thinks that death is a relief from life. He has a hard life. Now I, I think. I think that in the end, that's all that we really want. You know. I mean, that that's all that's. You know, it's just you're you're down to the beach and playing. He's playing with. You know, the lions are just playing with each other and on a sunny day and and. And the Yankees are afraid of the tigers. Oh, the Yankees are afraid. Talks of the about tigers. that over and yeah. over again. Tigers are playing the Tigres. Tigres that, from that Detroit. Night, I, am, I am afraid of the Tigers of Detroit. He says. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, he also talks a lot about that. Might be my overwrought, also, that might be my also, overwrought theory. He also theory talks a lot about bone and spurs. And sharks, sharks are the problem. The bone sharks spurs, come after and yeah. chew up his, right, the bone spurs. Yeah, yeah what is a bone spur? <laughs> I don't know. He has a point. I was going to say, going back to his iceberg theory, if you look at his contemporaries, though. Um, oh, right, the iceberg theory. Right. There, there's kind of a thought that there was a movement about simplicity, and it was, it was, it was modernism. It was early modernism. So you had, like, sure. F- Frank Lloyd Wright, right? And Frank Lloyd Wright rebelled against, you know, these really, you know, the classic Victorian architecture of form, the 19th ni- century, century, right? And so he Which had, is what Hemingway is doing. The form of exactly. his language must fit the Picasso, function. Picasso Picasso right. did the same thing. Well, right? with abstract No, with abstract in the in the 20s he did. 20s and 30s it was straight lines, it was cubism. I think Hemingway I think Picasso is doing something very different. The oh, ri- I, I these writers that we're talking about are stripping away a lot of the elaborate language in order to just make something very concrete. I think Picasso is about seeing things from a different perspective and playing with your expectations. Well, of what I think, I think should be. you could say the same thing with, with words, though. I mean, literature You, you could, you could, but I think it'd be something different than this. I don't know. I mean, it's Well, I mean, Picasso, before Picasso was realism. Yes. Then you had, then you had impressionism. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely you a know, reaction and, and, to and, and, and Well, I would had, think the realist painters, some of them are doing simple, th- oh, some of them are doing like Matisse, Mm-hmm. Some of his stuff is, it looks childish. It does. And, you, and Picasso would talk about himself that way, but the way he draws, in a way, okay, I can well, see I mean, what you're saying. He, he created, I mean, cubism. Yeah, some was, of it is was, a childish, it's trying to strip away yeah, the things you've learned to do. Right. And, and he, show he, he, how he, a child as might as draw. As I said, he talked yeah, okay. about that. Yeah, like, yeah, I remember, was, I remember that quote. When I was a yeah. child, I had to yeah. paint like a master or whatever. Well, part of it, though, with Hemingway is he learned to write as a journalist. Yeah. And there was a there was a, he worked for the Kansas City Star, mm-hmm. and he said that the the mantra of the of the newspaper was use short sentences, use short first paragraph, use vigorous English, be positive, not negative. And it's mm-hmm. like that's kind of it's almost exactly what he does. It's like the way he writes. It's like you right. took, it's like you took somebody trained in the American world of like writing a paper for the common people, and then you're like, I'm gonna go write like an anagogical like reference to Jesus right. Christ and an old man sure. like, swimming in the sea. 
but with that style, and that's right. the that's kind of the brilliance of it. And I could see the I could see yeah, the, I can the see analogy to, to Picasso there. Yeah, using the yeah. techniques of a child, but like the subject is it's, yeah okay. Yeah, and the the what they teach in I'm in coming school. around on this who what where when why how yeah exactly you get yeah. to get the basics but it's it's the iceberg theory because it's like it seems like a simple journalistic story mm-hmm. but it's you know there's all kinds of yeah. illusions and things like that I'm which a, is which is I'm a complete numbskull I did not catch the Christian imagery but as soon mm-hmm. as I had it described as soon as I read things about the book online mm-hmm. I was like. Uh, yeah, he's like crawling up a hill with a giant mast on his on his chest, right. on his shoulders, and he and he and he's like, I felt the I felt the wood go through my hands. I'm like, yeah. all right, yeah, you're right. Yeah. That is what that is. Okay, right. I didn't really. I don't know what Hemingway's trying to say with that. Yeah, but I don't know what is he trying to say. Why write a book about that? About what? About what's the Jesus the Jesus reference? What is what is he saying? Well, I is there a sacrifice of the sacrifice of the Marlin? I think he sacrificed himself. I, I think I think that's the whole point. He sacrificed himself in doing a good deed. I mean, he's the one that's getting crucified, and he's right. the one that's carrying the cross yeah. at the end. So, have you ever have you ever read? And I, I know you have Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena. Mm-mm. You've never heard that? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up, and we're gonna we're gonna. Is that a speech? Yeah, dear listeners, and it was a speech that. So Hemingway would have been very familiar with it, and I think he would have really liked it. Well, Hemingway and Theodore Roosevelt are not entirely separate right. uh, philosophical well, strands, right? Right. And Although uh, he said he hated Emerson, wouldn't uh, sorry, wouldn't read Thoreau, yeah. had a lot of a reaction against some of the people. Like, wh- which author, this story especially, reminded me of a particular author and especially a particular short story by this author. The, the desperate struggle... To, to catch this marlin mm-hmm. and then the desperate struggle to try and get back. And the fact that you're reading it and you're like, this is doomed from mm-hmm. the very beginning reminded me of the short story to build a fire. And I was thinking Hemingway is so much like Jack London. Right. Like all that very simple description of everything. And it's all about the, about nature and the wild mm-hmm. and like man versus man versus nature. I mean, that's the surface conflict of this story, right? I think it's man versus himself. Man versus himself, yeah. yes. Well, and, but man versus and, anything and, is eventually man right. versus himself. So I mean, it's yes, but yeah, he's like. Well, I, I, I mean, don't there, know. there's there's because it's here. not his personal just, traits. Just, just just listen to this, okay? So 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 Roosevelt after after he was president, he gave a speech in in Paris because Roosevelt was like a celebrity in his day. I mean, he he was sure. he was especially loved by the the French, and and then um, let's see, he gave a speech called. A citizenship in a republic in Paris. He gets to a part. It's a long speech, but he gets to a part. People refer to it as the man in the arena. Okay. okay. So this is what he, uh, Roosevelt wrote. Meaning like the gladiatorial arena, I guess, right? Or whatever. Yeah. So, he, uh, so this is what Roosevelt wrote or said in that speech. And this is that, this is that one snippet. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, yeah. whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. Right. And who at at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Right. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who n- neither know victory nor defeat. Were you the one talking to me the other day about how all the people that say bad things about my writing are people who don't write? Yes. That was you. Okay. All right. We had this conversation the other day. And there's a bit of Nietzsche in there. There's a bit of like the— There is. The, yeah, but that's, all the, all the that's Santiago, isn't trying it? To keep you down. Isn't that Santiago? Every, everybody's making fun of him. You know, well, he's ba- but they, he's, he's, they are fishermen. He, he's, he's bad luck, yeah. he, and he goes out. But when he comes back, uh-huh. he doesn't have the catch, does he? What does he have? He has the spine, he has proof. the tail. He has proof. And, and, and at they, one and point they, during they, the story— and, and they all look at it, and they're like, this is the best fisherman ever. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. God bless this guy. Yeah. You know, look what what, it, what he did. And so they understand. Don't tread on my biggest surprise, <laughs> because essentially— yeah. I'm going to give it away a little bit, but the ending is my biggest surprise, yeah. the, the nature of the ending. But To me, that was the entire thing was like, got this fish. Mm-hmm. He realizes at some point, this is the biggest fish I've ever caught. 
Yeah. You know, I, I don't. It's not just the biggest one he's ever caught. It's so big you can't believe that it's that yeah, big. Like yeah. It's, it's like right. bigger than his boat. And then it's, and then he starts saying oh, the dream was too good when the sharks start coming in. Now, here's the Is here's, my math right, by the way? If it's 1,500 pounds and he gets 75% of it, he says, three quarters, he gets like $300, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a. More money than it is today in <laughs> right. 1950s Cuba, but it's right. not that much. You could money. probably buy a lot in Cuba at that. At probably, that time, but yeah. like it's not yeah. life changing money, right? You don't you don't want to go well, no, 84 it was, days. It was, it was a lot. It was you don't want to go 84 days and then make 300 dollars. Well, I could live on nothing. Let's, let's multiply it by 10. To I mean, he 3, had a shack 000. made out of leaves. I know, but what are you, you know? going to do? Put windows on the shack now? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just not that much. Buy a newer newspaper. By a refrigerator or something, I guess, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, and then and then the revolution comes. And but, how many but years? The, the and you're thing wiped that, out? that when I started like hearing Roosevelt's speech in mm-hmm. my mind was when he knew it was fruitless. He knew the sharks were coming. But what did he do? Yeah, he 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 did it anyway. He defended them with every you know ounce of strength that he had. He started harpooning them with the gaff. Lost or the the harpoon rather. There was lost a the bit harpoon, of then the gaff. Lost the gaff. Then tied the the knife to the the, the and this would not be this would that. not be hem, just, this would not be Hemingway's particular philosophy, but the people he hung out with in Paris turned into the existentialists, right? And I kept thinking because he's always like, "Oh, this is so hopeless," right? But like he keeps and he does it, but you do go, it anyway. He does it? Just he does it? It's like trying. it's the myth of Sisyphus, right? Yeah. It's like you just keep going, you just keep rolling that mountain. You know, yes, yes, this bad thing but it's, happened. That's the I human. Just, it's I just the lost human my harpoon. It's the human condition. You've got right. to struggle right. against it. Exactly, you know? and which is why the ending is not an existentialist ending. It it's an American ending is what happens. Yeah. No, that, that's true. You, you know, he actually gets the thing back there and they're, you know, fighting no, in the no, face of no, despair just, and futility is the point of the story. I there you go. Yeah, so yeah. that's, uh, and, and to me, that's, that's the whole point of the man in the arena. It's, it's Rose, like Roosevelt says, does it matter if the guy wins or loses? It doesn't matter. Right. You know why? Cause at least if he loses, he understands what it's like to lose. To, to to try your best to try to, this to strive guy gets greatly. Concrete results from his his victory of sorts. I mean, his victory against nature against uh, and concrete the, results. Concrete results. He, he, I think, but he loses. He loses. He does not get the mark. Yeah, he doesn't. But he comes back with that carcass, and everybody sees it. And the boy comes back to him. The boy is the boy is like everybody. Sees nobody it, but would let. But but it's all they're all in reverence to it. Right. Like they all understand. They're like. You know, but his big problem was he was Salau. He was, like, not allowed to participate in the fishing because he was considered to be cursed. Right. And he comes back with this carcass, and the boy especially sees it, and he's like, no, I, you know what? If you can do that, I'm with you again. Like, I, I'm going back with you. My parents say I'm not allowed to fish with you because you're cursed, mm. but I'm going to fish with you anyway. And I think that's a concrete result. Yeah. He struggled. He got this thing. It was 300 bucks. 300 bucks is not as much as now he's got somebody to work with him. Now everybody in the harbor respects him right. again. It's a win. No, I think, you know? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's I buy that. It's not the win that he wanted. I don't know if I buy unless that. He dies, because, unless he look, dies look, in his sleep because of the lion <laughs> metaphor. They, I, they, they were all fishermen, and they understood right. him as a fisherman. Right. You know? Yeah, but they're superstitious people. They are, but the last time. And also time, because he's an outsider. But he also, no, last time he had 87 days, and then he brought in like a 1,000-pounder. Oh, okay. That's what happened last that. time. Oh, is that what happened? Okay. Yeah, and and because uh, the, the boy reminds him of that, he's like, I've never gone further than or longer than eighty-seven. Do so you days. think he would still be considered cursed because of this event? I don't think he was considered cursed. I mean, he's considered salau, whatever that means. Yeah, I don't know un- that word. unlucky. That's, I think yeah, probably. Some, I, don't that's think, not, I think it's different than cursed. That ain't Spanish. Just, I, all I can tell you is that ain't Spanish. <laughs> well, that's some Taino like it's holdover a different kind of that thing, Cubans yeah. use. I, I've never heard that. Word I think. Before. I think. I think it's it's he. Tried and he failed, but they recognize in his failure, they recognize the struggle uh-huh. that it must have taken. Well, you and know? the skill it must have taken to have caught the thing exactly. in the first place. Right? Exactly. It's not just, you know, the like struggle. he didn't, he didn't lose it. Like he didn't lose that fish. The, the shark stole the it from him. took it from yeah. him. Right. You know, which is different than not being able to, to get that fish. He got it. Right. And and so to me, like I said, it's the it's the man in the arena. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt was probably talking about this. He's probably talking about critics, people that commented on yeah. what he's doing. But well, the very first line is but, it's not the critic who counts. But Santiago's but Santiago's problem is not people who are like fishing critics. His problem is the other fishermen. They're all doers. It's a community of doers who are superstitious. 
and they've cursed him almost like a scapegoat or something, like the one guy who's not bringing in the fish is going to be the guy that we all disrespect or something. It's a different dynamic. But see, I didn't didn't see it like that. I I, I didn't really... But it's not, they're not sitting on the shore, you know, being like, oh, Santiago is a terrible fisherman. They're fishermen too. They're bringing in, right. they're bringing in the marlin and they're, you're not getting it done. Well, he's just, he's they're just. They're being unfair because clearly it's just, that's the way it goes. Sometimes, you know, if you, Joe DiMaggio, that's why they talk about Joe DiMaggio. He was in a slump. Because of the streak. Mm-hmm. Because Joe DiMaggio is famous for the streak and right. this is a slump. It's yeah. the opposite. They're two yeah. opposites. I didn't right. just thought of that right yeah, now. It's the uh, opposition. Have you ever gone fishing? Have I ever gone fishing? Of course, yeah. I've gone fishing. Have you well, gone are fishing? You a fisherman? You know, <laughs> I wish I I still was. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I I spent every uh, every summer, and some someday my biographers of Wikipedia will will write this about me. Right um, after I tragically die, shoot yourself with yeah. a shotgun, <laughs> something. Yeah. So By well. the way, I love the Wikipedia article on Hemingway. The la- the last section just says Idaho and suicide. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was well. like, by the way, anybody who moves to Idaho. Odds are your Wikipedia entry is going to be <laughs> Idaho and suicide. You know, they, they should have done a better job of having like a really fatalistic last line. He shot himself alone, period, in the yeah. dark, period. Yeah. When I was a kid, I spent every every uh, summer, my, my parents were divorced. Uh, my my dad left when I was like three years old. Total deadbeat. Yeah. Terrible person. Yeah. Lives in Idaho, by the way. Hey, Pops. Suicide. No way, Hasn't man. Happened. Yeah. No way. In any case. But uh, yeah, total deadbeat. Left when I was, you know, just went out for a pack of smokes, never came back. Right. Type of thing, right? Um, but uh, his parents were awesome. Uh, my grandparents, and since I was three years, these old, are the people you used to take the bus to go see with. Your yeah, brother. yeah, yeah. Right. That was a different time. Yes. But I would spend every up until I was like thirteen or fourteen years old. I'd spend every summer over in Roswell. We would fish all summer long. It was uh-huh. fantastic. It was great, man. Hmm. Was, uh you know, this is back before social media, before internet. Right. I mean, you left for the summer. You didn't see your friends again and, and, until August. So it was just all about whatever, wherever you were at the time. That's what you would do. So we would go all over the state into Mexico. We would uh, we would go to lakes. Okay, so, yeah, I would consider myself a fisherman. How about you? I have never. I've fished, like, twice. Really? Yeah. You'll be kidding. From Virginia? At, so. You're just, like. You just didn't come from a family that was because I, I would have thought fly fishing would have been. So I had right a. I just never learned to do that kind of thing. My sure. uncle took me one time and we caught a fish and it was fun. Some pond up in central Pennsylvania. What kind of fish was it? It was a sunfish. Sunfish. It's okay. just a little guy with a spot. Yeah, uh, that's about all you get. Thing, little, yeah. little little cricks in Pennsylvania. That's what I you think. Get. So, you I know one of my favorite metaphors from this book? What's that? The moon affects the sea as it does a woman. Like the moon steps in mm-hmm. and like makes the sea crazy. Yeah, it does it. That's a, I'm not going to talk about that metaphor any more than that. I just want to <laughs> leave it out there. But that is a great metaphor. That is a Hemingway. Is Hemingway a dude's writer? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he is. I mean, why? Is Jane, well, o- is Jane Austen, is Hemingway like the Jane Austen of men? I mean, Jane Austen's a great writer. Well, but you don't find a lot of men who are like, I, I, I think, love Jane Austen. I, I, I read think, Jane Austen back okay. and forth, you know. So, so I think it's like, all about people and their relations with each other. Yeah, I think, I think uh, Hemingway would be like... Um, but Hemingway was like that for for writing. I mean, he was he was what is a stereotypical very machismo male, right? right. Man of few words, shoots right. himself. Man of action. End of his life is a gunshot wound to right. the head. Exactly. Man of action. That, that's the ultimate man, by the way. That's a man's man. I always think that's a coward's a, way a out. Pro, a proper man his yeah. life ends with a gunshot to the now, head in Idaho. Jack Kerouac vomiting blood because How did he kill himself? Who? Jack Kerouac? He just died of drinking. Yeah, he drank okay. too much. Yeah. And he, now, I, I, you know that I think so. I think I think he was a male type of writer, like a very um, a person, a, a guy of few words. Right? I guess what I'm asking is, there a woman out there who likes Hemingway? I know I know some women that they're that great, great writers, I, I don't great know. writers, yeah. lovers of literature. I've mm-hmm. never met a woman who was like, I'm a big Hemingway fan. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you would have to love men at their darkest, at their worst, at the the things that women hate about men. I think, but see, I think you know, you know I think. But I think, you know, just like Jane Austen and Bronte sisters, I mean, you've got a feminine point of view. Who's your favorite Bronte sister? Let's get into this. The left one. Only one so of the left. Sure, why not? And the farthest left. Next episode of Toasting the Classics, <laughs> Tenant of Wildfell Hall. We're doing it. No. We're going. No. I just bought a copy of it, so I'm ready to go. Oh, you enjoy I got, that. I got some nasty books ready to go. So just, be, just think. Is that a nasty book? 
nasty as I'll in read it in long, the, as in long and oh, tedious. Oh God! So if you if you mess with me on this podcast, <laughs> if you put something I don't like on this podcast, it's going to be one of these terrible, terrible t- nominate something. Oh, that's just dreadful. Like if I have to watch anyway. So what kind uh, of sharks? What kind of sharks do you think mess with him at the end? Well, he says Mako's. It's a Mako, the yeah. one Mako. Yeah, the Mako's the one he kills and he feels bad about it. Uh, the other ones. The Mako's um, the fast shark that comes and he, and yeah, he feels yeah. bad about it. That's the one he kills. That's the very first one that he kills. The first um, one he kills is at Entuso, I think which is apparently I think Spanish I think for Mako shark. I think they're bull sharks. They're bull sharks. Yeah. They are. Yeah. I looked this up. He calls them galanos right. or shovel-nosed sharks. And yeah. I was like, I've never heard of a yeah. shovel-nosed right. shark. I looked it up, and that's another name for a bull shark. And bull sharks yeah. are like classically like hate hated sharks. Yeah. Now, they're no more dangerous than a lot of other sharks, but they, they, are, they have a bad relationship with human beings. Yes. Because they live in shallow water. Right. If you live, if well, you. And, and they, can, they can go between fresh and salt water too. They can, yeah. exactly. Which is why if great white sharks mm-hmm. lived in the waters that bull sharks do, we would be terrified. Do you we think have, they know how great they are? I think so. Do you think I they think gave so. themselves that name? I think so. People were like so. white sharks, and then the shark was like, yep. no, no, no. Yeah. Great. Have you ever met just a regular white shark? No. Just like a schmuck, no, schmuck white shark? They're all great. Yeah, exactly. Sharks. Exactly. Anyway, uh, black to brief shark when I was diving one time. Good. And it was uh, <laughs> good. Never, I've never seen a shark. Really? In the wild. Not once. I've that was like, the only one I've seen. It was actually, and it was really, it was like two and a half feet long. There's a uh, National Historic Site in Hawaii, which is like the place where uh, something Hayao, where the where the um, the leaders of Hawaii used to go and mm-hmm. get together. And, and there's a lagoon there that apparently is just infested with sharks. Hmm. And Alex and I went down there and walked Back and forth. On the Big Island? Uh, This is on the Big Island. Yeah, yeah. okay. We walked back and forth along the edge where you're supposed to be able to see sharks. I mean, for like three hours. He would not give up. Like, he he had been reading about it, and he was like, we got to see these sharks. And I'm like, I mean, I'm cool. Like, I want to see the sharks, too. But uh, we didn't see anything. How did he break his uh, wrist, by the way? Catching a football the wrong way. It's the way I broke my first bone. I I caught a basketball and just took my pinky back and snapped it. He had the exact same injury. But for the wrist? No, no, he broke his pinky. Oh, because he had his whole wrist. In the no, cast, yeah, they, I, they just they get more. When I when I broke my pinky in yeah. 1985, it was like a little. It was like a my mom yeah. put a splint from <laughs> right, CVS yeah. on okay. it. This All is right. like you go in now with one of these like little kids from from 2010, okay. and yeah. they're like, put him in containment, stat. <laughs> like, <laughs> bubble wrap get that cast over. Where's there. the bubble wrap? I mean, he was laughing. Yeah. He's cool. Like he yeah. he's like he's. A 1980s kid living in 2020. Yeah. No, he was. He had like, a big he's a smile tough guy. Like, yeah, yeah, he's like, like, like he's yeah, like whatever. Good for him. You know? That's cool. But uh, he had, they put a full cast on him with it and everything. He's gotten it that's signed awesome. by a bunch of girls and stuff. He's he's milking Ew. it. He's milking it like yeah. I, I approve. I was like, that's cool. Smart that's what kid. I would do. Yeah. Anyway, you know what I saw one time. What? Speaking of sharks. Yeah. What? I was at uh, Nags Head in North Carolina, Outer Banks, and I went down the little marina there, and this guy had caught a great hammerhead. Okay. Like up on a spike, like a 15 foot, or that's actually an exaggeration, but like an 11 or 12 foot great hammerhead shark hanging upside down. And it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like I was about about that age, like eight years old. So hanging it up like Hanging it up like they had something. it. They were measuring yeah. it and stuff and weighing yeah. it and stuff like that. And I, that, that stuck in my head my whole life. Really? Other than that, I don't think I've ever really seen it. Have like you ever eaten a shark? Yes. I uh, used to live in Galveston, actually. Yeah. And we had were you a, impressed? Uh, by the eh. taste of it? Yeah. No. Eh. I was impressed by the fact I was eating shark. Right. I was not yeah. into the taste. The yeah. taste was, what was your biggest surprise about this book? Biggest surprise. You had not book. read no. The Old Man in the Sea book. No, I hadn't. Okay. Biggest surprise in the book was that the old man didn't die. Yeah. You know, that that really was. Yeah. Hemingway is just famous for. I think he dies, though. I don't think he does. He sees the lions at the end, man. Yeah, he's just dreaming. Yeah, because he dreams, and that's that's when he dies. Do you dreams dream when you die? No, but the dreams are death. They're death coming for him. Dying in his sleep. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but no, I think uh, I, I don't think he dies at the end. I mean, Hemingway is famous for for his endings. So I think it is. But he's also famous for his kind of gloomy disposition, his gloomy outlook. Right. There was a there's a uh, a book by Stephen King called I think it's called On Writing. Um, I have not read that. That's in my queue by Stephen King. Yeah. And I read uh, I read so many Stephen King books. And I read books about writing. Yet I'm st- I've been looking at on what, writing one of the, for like a year. One of the year, chapters, like, one of the chapters in it is uh, "Great Hookers I Have Known." Right. And it's about the first line of a book, and he talks about the first line being the hook. Right. Get it, hookers. And I do, I do actually get that. And uh, 
And I was, I was. I thought he was referring to um, rugby teams. Hookers, yeah, yeah, hookers. Yeah. For those five people out of uh, the twenty That's that right. listen, right. Uh, that might get that. By the way, the Portuguese man of war gets a bad rap in this it, book. It does, which is yeah. probably correct. Yeah, probably. When so. we were staying in Hawaii, actually, everybody had I was to leave the water. Kind of profound. Oh, sorry. What was it? Well, we all had to leave the water because of the Portuguese man of war. Did you? Yeah. It's dangerous. That's profound. Yeah. So you're talking ask. about your biggest surprise. Oh, he, he's dying. Okay. He didn't no, die. Okay. All right. So Stephen King, great hookers I, I've known, all about the first line. And I, when I read that that chapter in that book on writing, I thought about, okay, what's the best last line of a book that you can remember? I And I called it... Uh, uh, best tales I've known or something like that. I don't know, whatever. And really there there are two that I could think of. Like, can you think of the very last line of any particular books? And the one that I got was uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, which was Putweet. <laughs> I know. What? Putweet. That's the very last. How do you spell that? I don't know how how it's like poo p o o t w e. It's a it's a bird poo tweet. That's what the bird says is poo tweet. Oh. That's the very last oh. thing that's said. On I thought you were talking about like and then okay. and then uh, it, and then for whom the bell tolls. Okay. I think the very last sentence is alone in the rain. Because oh. he walks back to the apartment alone in the rain. It's after she dies giving. Birth to their child. Off of the top of your head. In the hospital. What is the the original Star Wars trilogy? Yeah. What's the last line of the original Star Wars trilogy? Star Wars trilogy? Wait, The original Star Wars trilogy. Four, five, six. So that would have been... uh, This is Return Return of the the Jedi. Jedi. Right. Okay. So they're at the Ewok village. Is it... He's my brother. Whoa. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed, man. Yes. Yeah, he's my brother. Oh, man. If I hadn't married Karina. <laughs> if I hadn't married Karina. I, I don't think I could have asked a lot of people that. They would have gotten that right. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right. So your biggest surprise was the guy didn't die. Yeah. Well, yeah. Did it seem? Because the guy at the end of For Whom the Bell Tolls dies. No. No. He, no. For Whom the Bell Tolls, it was... His wife died. His girlfriend. His girlfriend died, and the baby died at, at the hospital. Huh. Yeah, she she gives. Okay. She dies her in childbirth, huh. and yeah. so he's walking back to the apartment alone in the rain, right? And uh, th- that was the whole point with the the whole Stephen King stupid segue that I was talking about. It was like I always remember that because I was like, that is the so worst. Should be best hookers I've known, and then what you're talking about is best tale I've had. Yes, yes, right? best tale I've had. Right? Put tweet from Kurt Vonnegut, and then. Uh, alone in the rain. It's like you know how much that, less important. I, I read that. I read as, that as a, as a as a guy who's tried to get his book published. Do you know how important your last line is? Not very. No one gives it. No, no one I gives. Know. By the time somebody gets to your last line, but for you've Heming, already won. But for Hemingway, it's hugely. Important. No, as a great writer, yeah. your last line matters. But as a writer trying to get read, he dreamt of the lions. That, that's a good line. That's it's a, a good great last line. line. Yeah, that's true. Right? So my biggest surprise is very similar. Okay. It's the just optimistic ending. It's the fact that the guy goes through this giant struggle, and I'm expecting to build a fire. I'm reading the whole time. I'm like, this is to build a fire. This is man against nature, yeah. struggling, 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 and it's all going to be for nothing. Right. You know, they, remember the guy, like, finally gets a fire going, and then the fire warms up the the, the snow on the branch above him, which comes down and kills his yeah, fire. Yeah, puts fire. It's up. very similar to the sharks eating the marlin the guy finally killed, right. the, you know. And uh, I was just expecting a struggle to the death. I didn't think he was going to get eaten by the sharks, but I thought he was going to die in some way. And the fact that he comes back and the boy comes back to him and the town has respect for him, I'm like, Santiago wins. He does. Santiago wins. He He doesn't just defeat the the Marlin. Right. He wins in life at the end. If he dies the next week, at least he dies on top. You know, like everybody respects him and he's, he's, he's not Salao anymore. Like... He's got his apprentice back. The apprentice has stuck to him this whole time. Right. So let me it's ask a you, very optimistic ending. Let me ask in you a the, question. In this existen- essentially existentialist tract, right. the end of it is not existentialist. It's, between, it's the, between the time he comes back and the time he catches that, that marlin, uh-huh. does anybody care that he fought the sharks? If he tells them the next day, heck yeah, they do. But if he what, says, I stabbed that first Mako through the brain. But would he? You know Santiago by now. Would he? He wouldn't. No. He wouldn't. Does Would it he matter? tell anybody? No, no, no. He wouldn't. He wouldn't, he wouldn't no. tell anybody. 
No. So it doesn't matter that he did all but of that. But they know. They would know. Exactly. They would know. Because that why would they know? Because that's what they would do, the, right? Well, maybe not. That's what no. That no, that's maybe not. You, maybe it's because they respect Santiago more than they respect themselves. Like, they know no. that he's a great fisherman. I, I think. I think they know, you know because that's what you do. You struggle. Like life well, is a struggle. Maybe you know. Maybe. Yeah. The sharks come. Do you let them just take your take what you just caught? You know, because he just right. spent he spent three days landing that thing. Right. Three days. His his back sore. His arm, you know, his 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 hand is so cramped. He has to pry it open. Right. You know, he is so like like battered and beat up. He finally gets this thing, and then the sharks come for it. Right. Is he just just gonna let him take it? No, he's gonna fight. And he knows though. He knows at the very beginning. He's like, oh, it was too good to last. They're gonna take that from him, but he's, they're not gonna take it without a fight. And he he everything he he's got. His harpoon, his gaff, his his knife, his oar. Well, he's been cleaned out, basically. Right? He, he does everything he can to, to, to stop it, but it's no use. And he knows that as he's doing it. It's no use. But he's not going to stop. That's the struggle. That's, that is our existence. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't stop. You don't, just, you don't just lay down and let life, you know, screw you over. But that's what I'm saying about my biggest you know? surprise is that he gets something out of the struggle. It's not Sisyphus yeah. pushing the rock up right. hill. This guy gets something out of yeah. it. Gets a concrete reward yeah. from having struggled. I think, and that's a very American. God, that's, that's a very American thing. You're right. Because you're a right. French person yeah. would tell the same story, and the guy would just lay down and, and die. And he would die at the, at the end. end. Yeah. Not lay down yeah. and die. He would struggle, and, and then he die. would die. Yeah. But it would just be death and bleakness, and you'd be like, no, one has to imagine Sisyphus yeah. happy. Yeah, you know, even I though he's in the French one, he wouldn't even have the optimism at the beginning. Oh, you're, you don't <laughs> you know? like the French? Come on, the French are the French are, are great people. Oh, I love terrible. them. But um, they I are persecuted my uh, my ancestors. Terrible people. You are you are French. Your I know. Name, they your name means your name means falcon, and yeah, but French. they persecuted them. Yeah, because they're Huguenots. Ah, I see. Yeah. They're still French. Still, still French. Anyway, so are we toasting this classic? It's up to you. Oh, it is up to me. Hell yeah, I'm toasting yeah, this classic. Down. That's pretty obvious. I, I'm this, I think yeah, that's obvious. It's, this is a good one. Hold on. There we right. go. No, this is... Uh, I don't know if I'm tasting this uh, punk drink that we're <laughs> drinking, but I will toast the old man in the sea. You know what, though? It's okay. After the fifth one, after, it's not too after bad. The th- after, on my third one here, I'm, I'm kind of having a good time with it. And there was a birthday party before the podcast, so... Oh, Jesus. It's not a birthday party. I dropped by for a pint. Because I had to go do a podcast. A pint. How yeah. many did you have? I had Two? one pint. One Just pint. one? Yeah. Oh, one, pint, one pint of cider. You know, um, I'm so glad you picked this. Mm. First of all, it's 130 pages. First so of thank all, you. it was short, but it's also very yeah. good. No, it's a, it's, it, was, it's, it was fantastic. I mean, to be able to do what he did in 130 pages. And for those Hemingway, you know, deniers or doubters or whatever out there, uh, people that just give this a shot. If you haven't already... So we don't Give like this try. term. Both of us, I think, yeah. agree that we don't like this iceberg theory term. Yes. But keep that in mind when you read it. Yeah. Because it's that's what it is. Yeah. If you don't like him and if you're not bought in to Hemingway, you could dismiss it. Right. The title of this book is The Old Man and the, the Sea. Yeah. Sounds like a moron right. came up with the title of the book, right? <laughs> that's not what's going on here. Yeah. So keep that in mind and... Hemingway's a very masculine writer. I know that's something that people don't like. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for the feminine in the world, but there's also a place for the masculine. And that's what Hemingway is. Right. Uh, so keep that in mind. And that's and, and if you ever like if you ever get down on yourself, let's say you write a book or you right. have a podcast. In which case you've probably gone to Idaho and suicide. All <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, By the way, Karina had a job offer in Idaho. Ooh, yeah, don't go there. (laughs) I was like literally, by not accepting that offer, my Wikipedia entry changed (laughs) to dies in his 70s, versus Idaho and suicide. But uh, no, no, seriously, if you you ever get down on yourself on anything you do or anybody like doubts your creative whatever it is you've done, a painting or a poem or whatever. And they will. And and they They will. will. I know they They will. will. If you do anything, people will be jerks about it. Go out and read, go to Amazon.com and read the reviews on any of Hemingway's stuff. 
any of them, especially the sun also rises. People brutalize Hemingway. Mm. Yeah. Um, what does Hemingway know about writing? I, I swear to God, that was a, that was a, that was an actual. I think entry. there's two kinds of creative people in the world. Mm-hmm. There's the ninety percent of yeah. creative people who everyone excoriates them. They tell yeah. them, they tell them you're an idiot. Stop doing what you're doing. Go get a job. And then there's the ten percent of people who are so just meteorically brilliant that the first thing they write, everyone thinks is brilliant. And those people are dead before they're 25. Yeah, well, that's true. You know, those are the people like Amy Winehouse and Jimi Hendrix right. that are just, they, they're so brilliant and they really are. And they're, but not even just that they're more brilliant than other people, but they're manifestly, obviously brilliant. Right. And no one doubts them. And yeah. they drink or drug themselves to death before they turn 30. Yeah. You don't want to be one of those people. I mean, Jan- maybe you do. Maybe Janis you do. Joplin. There's something know. to be said for dying young and leaving a good-looking corpse, well, but gonna, that's I'm not gonna, my plan. I'm going to tell you something. Oh, it's too late. Too late. My corpse is already pretty <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, and, and our five listeners out there, you'll get, get, get this too. My uh, book is finally rejected. Officially? Officially. You know what? F*** those guys. Exactly. So I had, I had uh, two reviews, okay? So they sent uh, this particular press, sent uh, my book out to... Uh, Right. Two experts. One expert was a beer expert. Uh-huh. The other expert was an African-American scholar expert. So this is getting cut. Yeah. <laughs> Why is this getting cut? <laughs> no, no, leave it in. Leave it in. All right. Uh, the beer expert loved my book. Said, and this guy has a book that I'm not going to name his name because he, he probably wouldn't want me to, but he's got a book that's got like – I don't know. On Amazon, it, it it's got like f- I'll name him Sam Adams. <laughs> no, it's it's like four or five hundred reviews. I mean, the guy is his book is huge. Uh, the African American scholar probably has written a book with five reviews, okay. something like that. Right. Um, the beer scholar said best book ever written. Definitely, definitely, you know, publish this book. African-American scholar says, this book sucks. Not nearly enough stuff about all this African-American history in it. She uh, didn't say it sucked. She said it was a, she said, it was good. She said you're the wrong perspective. No, she said, she said it was well-written. Right. It'll sell a lot, narrative nonfiction, but it shouldn't be printed by a uh, scholarly press. And so they sort of agreed. Actually, they didn't agree. They they decided not to make a decision on whether to publish it or not. They tabled it, and I found out from the uh, acquisitions editor that uh, it was tabled. And I mm-hmm. said, you know what, I have, I've literally spent a year dealing with this one press, right? And when you deal with one, you've press, been working on this book more than a year. This is my pre-COVID. Sig- you were working I'm going on in five years yeah. on this stupid book. Yeah, yeah. And so you know this one. So. And so they said. Uh, so I said, you know what, I'm moving on. From you, and, right. uh, this is a toxic relationship, and I'm going to find somebody else. There you go. That loves me a lot there more. There you go. So, anyway, I'll publish you to the extent of my publishing capabilities. I will. Pu- Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on yet another episode of Toasting the Classics. Toasting the Classics, and uh, we are toasting the old man, the sea. We are the old yeah. man, the sea. Despite the Nobel Prize. Being awarded to it, <laughs> the despite Pulitzer. the Pulitzer, we think that it should still. Yeah, be we, with we, us. Think, we think. Yeah, it's, it's, still it's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, right. too, not too bad. It's all right. Uh, and thanks for joining us. And please join us again on uh, our next episode, which I have no idea what that's going to be. I guess it's, it's my choice. Yeah, it's a, it's a film. Ooh, maybe it should be something for now. No, no dude. No. <laughs> Let's enjoy life. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> no French movies. <laughs> so thanks no, for joining no, us. Uh, you know. Uh, I would love to hear from the 15 people that listen to us. That's right. Um, so comment. All of our Patreon supporters get to pick an episode. I think that should be a rule. We have a Patreon? No. Oh. Well, we should set that up. <laughs> and anybody that supports us on Patreon, dollar dollar a month subscription gets you an episode that you pick, I think. We don't, we, don't have, we don't have thousands of different tiers and, and things like that. Dollar I think episode? Anybody who's willing to give so us. So we'd have 25 bucks a month? Well, exactly. I guess we'd have enough to... Pay for booze for Pay one for episode. Pay for the booze, right? That's, yeah. Hey, that's better than what we're doing right now. Well, a bottle of Pernod is $75. Well, like 50-something dollars a bottle. Was it really? Yeah. Good that's Lord, I cheap. paid for that. How do I not remember that? <laughs> you think that'd be a real kick in the nuts. Although you are me. recycling. That's really smart. Recycling what? I am. Yeah. 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 Well, I got to drink up all my liquor before I move. 
Yeah, what? By the way, you should come what? over and help me drink up all my liquor. What? You're moving? Yeah. Yeah. Moving to New York. For sure. Yep. Officially? Yeah. Wow. I told you that. I know. No, you told me that as uh, a maybe. Tell the, uh, didn't tell the podcast that you're saying? Yeah. Uh, well, the podcast doesn't care. podcast is going to hear me. No matter what. Slightly with less audio fidelity, <laughs> but it'll hear me from New York as well. So, yeah. We got to drink the rest of this Pernod with something. Glasses. So I think Toasting the Classics is done for this week. Episode 38. I think, I think we've so done too. our work. We've decided that the Old Man in the Sea shall thrive. Absolutely. The Old Man in the Sea will haul its 18... 18- foot 1500 pound marlin into the harbor completely unscathed the sharks of our criticism are not (laughs) going to take a bite this time toasting the classics is out peace out peace out bye good night that's it for episode 38 of toasting the classics for those playing along at home get some vodka peach schnapps orange juice and cranberry juice to make a sex on the beach because next week we'll be talking about the 2017 best picture the shape of water if you'd like to get in touch Please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and tell us if women can like Hemingway. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at at Reactive Nuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.